Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 3, Episode 17 of Farscape. The Choice. Okay, see, I'm kind of split on this because, uh, honestly, honestly, this is some of the best acting we've seen out of Claudia Black. Oh my god. According to the trivia page, Claudia Black told the writers that... She wanted an episode that she could really sink her teeth into after losing John, and oh my god, they wrote it for her. Like, Claudia Black knocks it out of the park this episode. I really like the concept of this episode. I love the idea of a, like, ghost planet, a planet that's like this mystical nexus sort of place where all of these people and ghosts kind of are drawn to it, like mm -hmm. a Hellmouth or Lavender Town. But it's also the resolution of Aaron's mom's plot, and it's just not very good. Okay, I loved this episode, which is weird because I remembered hardly anything about it. Basically, the only thing I remembered about it was the seer puppet. Which is really cool. Yeah, and I thought it was amazing, and in a kind of a hallucinatory way. And even though... Even though the resolution with her mother is literal, like, her mother's literally there, what happens literally happens, the whole episode feels so ephemeral that it it feels metaphorical, it feels like a ghost, and it works for me. I was thinking about this actually a lot since we watched the episode before we started recording, and I feel like so much of this episode would have landed better if Aaron's mom was a ghost. Mm -hmm. Like, if it was just part of the whole planets thing where her mom was a ghost. And I don't know if it's the actress who's playing... What's her bucket? Zalex. Zalex, or... I just... Aaron's mom was so cool when she first showed up, and then it's been just dramatically diminishing returns every subsequent episode. I feel like we we've only had, like, three episodes with her. She showed up and she was like this mysterious, super badass character. And then we had the episode where she caught up to Aaron and it was just whining, just constant whining for a whole episode. And why aren't you a better Sebastian? If you were a better Sebastian, you would have killed me. And then, I mean, honestly, this episode isn't that bad with her, but her her motivation's all over the map. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm not buying it. I, I just... I really, really love a lot of stuff about this episode, but Aaron's mom's weird thing. I'm going to pretend that one of my minions is your dad, and then I'm going to kill him in front of you because I want you to suffer, but also I want to kill you, but then I don't want to kill you, and I'm like, all over the map, choose a thing, choose a thing and stick to it. See, what's weird here for me is this this dynamic is so exactly mirroring the Cora Regina dynamic from from Once Upon a Time. Except that worked better. I mean, it's 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 different because you know Regina grew up with Cora and mm -hmm. Honestly, that was I kind of want to go back and watch some of that now cuz retroactively I'm appreciating that a lot more. Oh, you know what I didn't realize till like, we were just talking about this? Uh, that's connected to this podcast because I really feel like the mother-daughter dynamic is the same. But it's also connected to our Charmed podcast because young Cora is uh, Rose, Rose McGowan. McGowan. Yeah. Oof, Rose McGowan. I am Oof. not looking forward to having to talk about all that baggage when we get to it. Oh, I, which is very soon, isn't it? Yes, yeah, like three episodes in our charm podcast. I feel like we need to just address it right off the bat and then not talk about it. Yeah, that's kind of how I figured we were going to deal with it. But, yeah, I want, I wanted to like Aaron's mom so much, and I get what they're doing. You, you talked about this earlier, but, like, it is clear that they're doing a sort of alternate path for Aaron. Aaron's mom is the ghost of future past for Aaron, but... Mm -hmm. It just, it doesn't land for me. Well, and it especially lands for me because at the end of this episode, the the there but for the grace of God go I vision of her mother is the path she chooses. That's horrifying. I, it just, it doesn't work. 
I feel like Aaron's in too different of a place. I feel like the whole, like, this is what could happen to you if you lose yourself to grief thing would work better if we hadn't spent the whole last episode with Aaron and her mom establishing that Aaron has grown. It's it's basically, it's the thing with, I, I, I was going to say with Crace, but... Aaron's mom is a nemesis that Aaron outgrew before ever encountering her. Yeah, but this episode is not about her facing this nemesis. This episode, her mother isn't... Her mother isn't her mother. Her mother is symbolic of the... the twisted upbringing that Aaron did have with the peacekeepers. And that's what she's choosing at the end of this episode. That's her choice at the end of the choice. Is it? Well, I mean, spoiler, no it's not. But it's what's heavily implied by the end of this episode. Yeah, just not buying it. I'm sorry. I just... Maybe if they had a stronger actress, maybe if they gave her a... For the mother. For the mother. Uh, Obviously, yes. I just just wanted to to clarify that Claudia Black is a goddess who walks amongst us. Yeah, she and she kills it in this episode. But I just... uh, we, We should just get into it, but... I wanted to like this episode way more than I did. And there are lots of things that I like about it. But as a whole, I don't think it lands. Well, so we're going to do like a kind of experimental thing. Okay. No, no, no. We talked about this. We're at the end of the season. We, ha- I guess it's not experimental. It's just we haven't done it before. We're going to do a thing where we kind of rank the episodes from that season. Yes. And if you had asked me before we started watching before we started this rewatch, which episode the choice is, I would have been like, I do not remember that episode at all. I have no idea what episode that is. Very generic title. And this is going to be, spoiler alert, this is going to be in my top tier for this season. Like, this episode really hits for me. So, we should talk about it. Yeah, we've been talking for quite some time. We should actually get into the episode. So, we open on... An alien planet? Yeah, an alien planet. It, it, it almost, it's like a marketplace, except instead of being filled with people hawking their wares, it's filled with the guy who's normally sitting in the corner of the tavern waiting to give you your, your quest. I will give it this. Uh, there's a thing where people who are trying to, like, in movies when the protagonist is trying to hide, a lot of times they, you know, they pull up the hood so they can walk through the town square unnoticed. And usually it's super conspicuous because no one else has their hood up. <laughs> but not here. Here everyone has their hood up. Everyone is the protagonist here. Yeah. Yeah. So John's looking around and John's like, so I thought I died. This is, we're, we're, I'm Scar Joe. We're, we're with the other people. Didn't I die? I'm pretty sure I died. He's dead Scar Joe. He's da Scar Joe. Scar Joe's ghost. Scar Joe go. So, uh, a seer, uh, one of the mystics who is, um, pale with bleeding eyes, which I mentioned because that's the, there's His not really... distinguishing mark. Yeah, there's not really other ways, there, there aren't names to distinguish the seers. Also, planet full of seers. Seer is not a distinguishing character. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant, right. He's the one with the bleeding eyes. He approaches Aaron and he's like, I, I can see the one you, you are seeking. I can, I can help you connect with him. And she kind of just brushes him off. She's like, hard pass. Yeah. Also, uh, just for, for any of our listeners who listen to Night Vale, mm-hmm. welcome to Night Vale, um, which is a podcast that I am a big fan of. I like to imagine that this planet is what's inside the dog park. And these are the hooded figures inside the dog park. I'm just throwing that out there. I uh, I feel like I missed the train on Night Vale. I tried listening to it and I was like, this is something I would have been really into if I had listened to it in high school, but... I, I don't know. I, uh, I don't know how to take that since I was well out of school when I first listened to it and I love it, but that's okay. But uh, one of the things I liked, a fan theory I heard, which normally I hate stuff like this, but someone's like, I like to think that the hooded figures in the park are just teenagers and Cecil's being just very dramatic about it. I do. I do like those fan theories. Um there's, there's one with the street cleaners, and I did see a fan-drawn comic where the street cleaners were just normal street cleaners, and Cecil was, like, freaking out about them. 
Because I, I, I am very noted as someone who hates it was all just a dream or the person is crazy and in an asylum. Normal Again is the worst episode of Buffy by a lot. But I do kind of like the idea that... Well, but yeah, but it's not that, it's not that, it's not that Cecil is crazy in that theory. It's that he, he's, uh, like, like, born, like a born yesterday trope. Like, everything freaks him out. Oh, no, the thing I was talking about was that Night is a completely ordinary town that just has this guy on the radio who's making everything into... Ah, okay, okay. I, I like, um... I like Night Vale because I like the mood it puts me in, where it's like, ooh, everything's uncanny now. The familiar seems, seems arcane. I mean, it's, uh, ASMR. Oh, that too. Oh my god. Can, yeah. Just, just throwing this out there. Cecil Baldwin's voice. I, oof. Uh, And the music. It's a whole tone. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's funny, I... Welcome to Night Vale predates kind of the rise of ASMR, but yes, you're right. That's exactly what I appreciate about it. it it's it's it, it's ASMR that speaks to the young goth child inside of me. I generally file it away with uh, Homestuck as something I would have been very, very into if I had found it at a different point in my life. Oh, see, Homestuck is that for me, definitely. Farscape. So the choice... So, Aaron is wandering around this mysterious, misty, seer-filled planet, and she does not want to talk to the dead. Or does she? No, she doesn't. Uh, and we... she's at the wrong planet. <laughs> well, so we go from there back to Talon, where Crace is, like, screaming at Stark for sending her down to the planet. And he's like, well, she needed something like this. She's grieving John. And... There's this weird thing, there's this weird thing, and it's going to get weird in the episode, where Stark accuses Crace of, like, just trying to bang Aaron all the time, which he, he kind of has been. Yeah, he, he's been pushing that. She He and her had a kind of weird dynamic those months that they were on Talon alone. Yeah, but the weird thing is that Stark kind of gets lumped in with that and accused of that, although I think what's more happening here is that Stark, we as we've seen before, has kind of a savior complex, and that's what he's, like, smothering Aaron with. Yeah, it's really weird, because Crace accuses Stark of being sexually into Aaron. Like, he tries to do an Uno reverse to use the parlance of the internet, and also, I guess, Uno. <laughs> and... Yeah, because Stark's like, look, you just want... I'm trying to do something healthy for Eren. You know, I sent her down to Psychic Planet so she can talk to, you know, a psychic and make her peace with John's ghost or whatever. And Chris is like, and you don't want her to do that. You just want to come up here and be sad so you can grief bang her. And Chris is like, no, you want to grief bang her. And that's why you sent her down to the planet full of psychics to connect with John. I don't get it, and I don't get it later in the episode when Aaron accuses Stark of just trying to help her because he wants to bang her. I've literally never got that dynamic. No, no. I I think Rigel is the one who calls it correctly when he says to Aaron that unlike the other two, he's not trying to save her or bone her. Although he says recreate with her. Mm. Um, But, and I think that's the case. Like, I don't think... Even though it gets called it by Crace and by Aaron, I don't think Stark's thing is sexual. I think it's it's his savior complex. He wants to try and save her. Yeah, and I'm, he does kind of have a hero worship thing with her like he did with John when they remembered that oh, that was a thing. Yeah, remember in the Rashomon episode? Yeah, he, yeah. he totally sees them as his, like, heroic mommy and daddy. Yeah, like, so I... Whatever. I do like the, the line... You know, the planet's full of criminals and, uh, criminals and mystics. We're criminals, you're a mystic. Yeah, Rachel's like, so it's just like up here then, huh? Okay, okay. After we get that scene on the ship, which is basically just there to explain to us what's going on with Aaron, we get this gorgeous shot. Okay, the art direction in this episode is, like, unspeakably beautiful. It's really good. You get this very 
dreamy, lost, hazy feel, like... I mean, there's obviously, like, there's obviously, like, a lot of Blade Runner DNA in there. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is a very lost place. They do such a good job giving this planet a personality. Mm-mm. Like, you, this feels like a place that would have ghosts. Yes. And the, just the shot of Aaron that we open on, with Aaron sitting on the ledge outside of her hotel room... And you've got the neon on one side, and then she's intermittently illuminated by searchlights. And, okay, all of the light is, other than, like, the spots of neon and the spots of searchlight, all of the light that washes this area is, like, amber-colored. It's sepia-toned, mm-hmm. which gives you that, like, kind of nostalgic ghost-like feeling. But also, as um, anybody who's ever worked in a technical theater capacity will tell you, is a super flattering light. Like, it's it's golden hour in here every hour. And, like, they specifically have makeup on Erin to make her look distraught and gaunt. Like, she's got, like, red, um, what, you know, she's got red makeup under her eyes, but it's, you know, it's meant to show how... how They're dark circles. Right. Like, but, um... This is, I can't think... Can't compete with the golden hour lighting here. I think this is the most beautiful Claudia Black has looked throughout the course of this show. And they're trying to make her look run down and haggard and you know, like she's been through the ringer, but yeah, she's freaking gorgeous this whole episode. When we were watching this last night, I was like, this is the wrong feeling for me to be having, but look at how beautiful she is. She's got a real, like, less pathetic Catherine from Wuthering Heights vibe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, and I will say, having seen Claudia Black in person at a con... She actually is, in my opinion, more beautiful than can be captured on film. I've said before, she's one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever seen in reality. Hmm. I have not seen her, but I trust you. Yeah, the two most beautiful human beings I've ever seen in reality are her and uh, Marina Baccarin. Hmm. Oh, uh, an important note, uh, she wears she's wearing her hair down. Uh, this will be important for later. She is... Staring at her stuff contemplatively, she's got uh, a knife that belonged to her father, and she's got, and we see she looks over at her pulse pistol, which she is not wearing anymore. She's wearing this, like, long, tattered velvet dress. Very, very 90s goth girl. So she talks, she reaches out to the psychic, and she's like, look, I'm ready to talk to the dead, and the guy's like, cool any dead person in particular and she's like my father talon soon and i'm like it's not soon my father talon and i'm like talon last name yes like, I, I forget what it is it does start with an l though the emphasis is weird there it's not weird but you know you're supposed to think that she's going to she's going to want to talk to john but after she says, no, I want to talk to my father, pause, Talon Laas name. It's like, the, you already said it was your father. The, I See, I didn't feel that. I just felt like it was just the blow to get us out of the scene and into credits. Yeah, yeah, but... I, I, that, I didn't feel that pause the way you did. That's okay. I mean, it's not a terrible thing. It's just weird because it's, it's, it seems like it's kind of being played as a twist, but you already said my father. Whatever. It's... It, yeah, I'm overthinking. It's not something to complain about. But yes, yeah, she wants to talk to her dad for some reason. So uh, she wakes up back in her hotel room. So I guess he told her to make an appointment. And old John is there. Yeah. This is a reference to the locket, which I honest to God did not think was going to ever get brought up ever again. Well, because because at the end of the locket, they like erased that timeline. Yeah. But it turns out all the timelines continue to exist, and uh, John here, now that John is dead, he remembers this timeline, and the terrible, terrible old age makeup they put him in. It doesn't look so much that he's old, and more that he's a zombie in a really, really cheap zombie movie. It's bad, bad makeup. Also, inexplicably, John, whenever anything happens to John, he inexplicably becomes Southern. Yeah, that is that is a uh, Ben Browder's go-to move. It's true. I don't get it. As a reminder, in the locket, 
Aaron and John got trapped in this alternate dimension time loopy thing where they were kind of trapped in like this pocket universe where they grew old together. Right. It was it wasn't an alternate dimension. It was like a pocket universe, like you just said, where time moved differently. So they aged, you know, a hundred years in the time it took them to get back to Moya. And then they were able to reverse the effects by like going back in time and getting Moya to not ever go there. So that timeline was erased. I didn't buy that so much. I mean, I, I get what they were doing, but John John's thing was wanting to get out of the time loop because he was an explorer and they only had this little universe to explore. And I'm like, you could spend your whole life exploring a single planet, John. <laughs> Just because you go to a planet and get bored after five minutes. But this episode, he did get to live out his life with Aaron as Aaron's husband. Like, this is, this is a John who got to grow old with Aaron, unlike... Scarjo, who is now dead. Mm. So I have to imagine that if John's ghost has access to those memories, he he probably treasures them to a degree that he didn't when he was experiencing those events because that's the only time he got to grow old with Aaron. Meanwhile, like I said, when he touches Aaron, she has those memories too. So those memories do exist somewhere, even though the timeline was erased. And there's this amazing moment where we see a shot from that episode where Aaron kind of uh, clutches her chest, and she's like, oh, it's just the pain, it's just the old pain, no worries. And then Aaron from this episode feels her chest in the same place, and she's remembering the pain, but she's also feeling her heart. She's feeling her grief. It's well done. So old John blathers some fake southern garbage at her, and she's like, whatever, zombie man, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing my own thing here, whatever. We also see old Aaron, which, you know. Yeah. Couldn't have, couldn't have tried a little harder with that makeup. I mean, that episode's pretty emotional. They, they, were, they were counting on the actors to sell it, and they, they do. They probably would have had a better job selling it if they didn't have to do it through orc makeup. <laughs> There's a knock at the door, and it is the seer. Uh, he's like, hey, are you talking to someone in here? And she's like... Your planet is infested with ghosts. It's just a ghost. Don't worry about it. I feel like she should have more questions about old John. I guess she kind of remembers being old Aaron. Oh, no, I assume that because we see kind of the flashback when he touches her. I assume that all of the memories came back to her when he touched her. Hmm. And she remembered it all. So the seer, it's not the seer with the bleeding eyes. It's a different seer. Comes in and he's like, I can contact your father. And she's like, really? You have a connection to Talon? And it's it's a guy who's got, like, half a bug face and blue skin. And he's like, I am Talon. And Aaron's like, hmm, okay. Here's what I love about his half a bug face. Mm-hmm. You know what that makeup really reminds me of? What? Aaron in DNA Mad Scientist when she started to have the pilot DNA. Specifically, he's got this kind of, like, mandible thing poking out of his cheek that looks like the little arm thing she had poking out of her uh, her abdomen. And it's like, you've got a hard sell convincing Aaron that you're her father when you're not a Sebastian. Even even Claudia Black is, like, selling it as she kind of, like, narrows her eyes at him, like, okay... Let's see where this is going. So, spoiler alert, this is part of this weird long con Aaron's mom has where she pretends that this guy is Aaron's dad and then shoots him in front of her so she can experience the same pain Zalexoon felt. And the thing is, it, A, it's a dumb plan. Aaron has no emotional connection to this guy. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And B, Aaron's clearly not buying it at literally any point in this episode. Right? Stark and Rigel have come down to the planet looking for Aaron, um, which is weird to me. Like, let her, you are the one who sent her down there. Why, why is everybody all of a sudden like, oh my god, we have to find her. Let her like feel her grief or whatever. Yeah. Also, why did you bring Rigel? I don't know. Well, well... Stark needed someone to play against because as soon as he lands on the planet, he starts hearing Zan talk to him. Which should have been Crace. I really liked the dynamic those two had last time. And Stark goes into this weird comic relief thing whenever he's paired with Rigel, which I just straight up do not care for. 
Um, so weirdly, I actually really like Rigel's plot in this episode. I like Rigel's plot too. I like that he's... Responsible is probably the wrong word. He's the voice of reason in a way he isn't normally. And it doesn't feel like out of character for him. Yeah, I think Rigel is not haunted by the dead as much as everyone else is. Even here, um, the seer with the bleeding eyes approaches him and is like, Hey, uh, Kellor, she doesn't blame you. And Rigel is clearly a little shaken up by this. He, he, you know, this guy knows the name of what is implied to be the woman that Rigel had to cast aside so that he could become Dominar. Mm-hmm. But we don't get that story because we don't need that story. Yeah, he's like... He's a little upset at first, and then he's like, eh, you know what. And he has this thing where he's like, he assumes that Stark told this psychic, because why? It's not like... To make him believe, I think. But it's not like he doesn't know that psychics exist. I mean, this isn't an unknown quantity in this universe. Sure, sure. But, you know, he thinks this is the planet of cold reeds, so a warm reed is disconcerting but also has he talked to stark about this right wait actually that kind of implies this like i know that you just said you don't like them together as a duo but that kind of implies that while they were on talon they kind of grew closer and had this relationship where rigel like confided stories about his past lovers to to stark weird don't don't care for it oh opposite end of the spectrum weird Want that fan fiction. Not not a sexual fan fiction, just like a Rigel's... Oh, no, I think they should go all in. I'm not a body Stark breeder. Stark should go all in. Normally. Well, that's convenient. Stark doesn't have a body. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Maybe I'll write this fan fiction. <laughs> uh, I'll call it not really a body breeder. Okay, no, no. No. Okay. <laughs> back, back, to, back to this episode. Uh... In Aaron's room, fake fake Talon is telling Aaron that he had intense plastic surgery so that he could hide, and that's why he looks like that. And also, he has this uh, peacekeeper paternity test he's machine. Like, he's like, do you recognize what this machine is? And she's like, yeah, it's this old piece of peacekeeper technology that tells you when someone's your dad. What if very conspicuously handy thing for you to happen to have on you. I, I I really love how much Aaron is not buying this at every point in this episode. Mm-hmm. Because this is a this is a thing with people believing really obvious lies in fiction. It happens so much. And I just like that Aaron's blatantly not buying this bullshit. And I also kind of like that neither one of the people who are trying to con her pick up on that. Yeah, well, and I want to throw it out there. Nothing in the script explicitly says that she's not buying it. It's totally Claudia Black's mannerisms that let us know that that's what's going on. And, you know, all praise to Claudia Black. And her fake dad's like, look, the machine says I'm your real dad. Let's hug it out. And Aaron's like, no. No. No, No, we're not going to be doing that. And he's like, I understand our culture has a way of turning people hard and rough. And she's like, mm, yeah, okay. Down Downstairs, Stark is talking to uh, the guy who runs the hotel, the, the guy at the desk, who's like, hey, uh, don't peer over the top of the desk like that because we have this uh, safety device where giant spikes come out of the desk. Smart. Yeah, yeah. Also, he's selling corpses. I I don't think this is actually a hotel. Well, it's... I mean, you're right that it's not a hotel and that... What is it? But um, he does say that Aaron is not staying there, that she's probably staying, you know, at some place on the other side of town. And Rigel does ask for a room. And he's like... We don't sell rooms. Well, no, no, no. Rigel asked for their nicest room. And he's like, where do you think you are? Which made me believe not that they don't have rooms, but that, like, no, no, no. This is a flop house, my friend. And Stark is trying to describe Aaron. He's like, female sebation, very pretty. She has long, dark hair that she usually wears up, but she's had a bunch of character development recently, so she wears it down now. And the guy's like, 
I don't know where, like, a lot of people come through here. Go look where the Sebations hang out. Yeah, yeah. Which, I'm honestly surprised there are Sebations on this planet at all. Yeah, well, the only one we see is, uh... Aaron and her mom. Aaron and her mom, so maybe there aren't. Uh, as you said, though, he is selling dead bodies, and we see in the background a diagnostician mm. buying one. Just throwing that out there. It's like Continuity. a little Easter egg there. Yeah. And Stark sees Zalix and is like, oh no, it's her! And Rigel's like, Aaron, that's who we're looking for. And he's like, no, her! And Rigel's like, Zan, she's dead. I know this is a ghost planet, but she's dead. And he's like, no! The Z- Zalix, the woman who's hunting us! And Rigel's like, god damn it! Isn't she supposed to be dead? Shouldn't we assume that she's a ghost too? Also, Stark's hearing Zan, is that Virginia Hayes' voice? It is. Because I'm like, it it sounded, I, I thought it was. I wasn't sure if they like had to record new dialogue or whatever, but, or if they just used old. No, no, they had to record new dialogue. It's, this is, uh, Virginia Hayes came in for this. But we're not going to see her. We are they're, not. They're not, they're not going to put her in the makeup again. She's just going to be a voice who's helping. Well, okay, um, so just a little bit of a spoiler. At the end of this episode, Stark reveals that the voice of Zan told him that there was something he had to go seek out, so he has uh, discorporated so that he can go seek that out, and he will return when he knows what he needs to know. And what he needs to know is that Paul Godard was performing at the Sydney Opera House for the next couple of weeks, (laughs) and thus not available to film. Mm. Is he a singer? I don't know. I think he... You know, I don't know. I don't know what he was doing there. I mean, I know they do things that aren't opera at the Sydney Opera House. It's an iconic location for theater of all kinds, but... He, he feels... It, I He feels so Shakespearean to me. I just assumed it was Shakespeare without even thinking about it. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. He has a real classically trained actor in a sci-fi show vibe to him. He does, right? By Grap Thor's hammer! <laughs> Uh, to reference Alan Rickman in Galaxy Quest. Such a good movie, despite the leading character. Yeah. Although, honestly, if you're going to have someone being a William Shatner-esque douchebag... Couldn't, he, couldn't ask for a more accurate casting. Than Tim Allen. <laughs> anyway, Stark and Rigel have gone back up to Talon, where they confront Crace about the fact that he didn't actually kill Zalix, even though he said he did. And he tells them that... He spared her life in return for her telling the peacekeepers that they were all dead. And they're like, no, you are going to betray us. And he's like, no, I was literally working for us. This was for us. Yeah, like, look, either we can have someone claim that we're dead so that they don't send any more people. Or, worst case scenario, we have a foe that we've already fought and beaten after us. Because it's not like she's going to go back to the Sebations and tell them she failed. Right? Or, you know... I kill her, and they send out a whole fancy new group of people who are probably going to be more competent than uh, Zalek soon. Because, you know, it would be hard to be less competent than her. Stark, like I said, doesn't believe him. And he's like, you better start telling the truth or else I'm going to guide you to the other side! Thank you, Stark. Thank you for delivering on the thing I've been pushing for you to do (laughs) since you showed up in the show. Just guide people into death. But, uh... Crace rightly points out that he's the only one who can drive Talon, so that would probably be a bad thing. And it happens every time Crace does this. Every time Crace is like, I'm the only one who can fly Talon, someone's always like, that's not true. Aaron can fly Talon. And it's always when Aaron isn't there. Yeah, yeah. Which which is, of course, Crace's uh, insurance policy at this point. He's like, Aaron's on the planet. Aaron's in the planet. Alan, Aaron's captured by your mother. Aaron's looking at something. Oh, so, uh, down on the planet, Talon is talking to Aaron, and he's like, so, uh, I know you didn't come here looking for me, so, uh, what did you come here looking for? Talon the man, not Talon the ship. Talon the man, not Talon the ship. Except, not really So, So we shall refer to him as fake Talon, and the other as ship Talon. Yes. Or probably not ship Talon at all. Well, probably just be Talon, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, Aaron says she was looking for her, her dead lover, and... He's like, then why'd you ask that psychic to find your dad? And she's like... She immediately runs over to the desk clerk and is like, okay, here's some money. That guy I was just talking to, what's his deal? 
And he says, you know, he's been here for a while. He said he was on the run. I don't know his deal. And she slides another coin over and he's like, okay, so. Yeah, he's like, um, she slides another coin over and then she starts threatening him. And he's like, I don't know anything else about him. And she like is trying to beat him up. And it's like, Aaron, he really doesn't know anything else. This is not a planet where people like tell each other stuff stuff and he's and she storms away stops at a table and grabs two bottles of fellop nectar which i think which i think of as kind of being like absinthe and storms back upstairs and meanwhile stark and rigel have come back this time with Crace, who they have put in handcuffs and they're trying to find aaron still and Stark is like, oh, hey, and this is, again, Stark is being the guy you want him to be in this episode. He sees a woman who's nearly dead, and he's like, oh, perfect, I'll guide her to death, and in guiding her to death, I'll see if she sees, if she's seen Aaron around. Yeah, I'm gonna just absorb all of her memories, and, you know, maybe Aaron will be in one of the last parts of her. Which, luckily, she is. He's like, yeah, Aaron's staying up on the top floors. Okay, so this is a little bit of a diversion. What? But... It finally clicked for me something really familiar about Stark. So there was a uh, X-Men storyline mm-hmm. called Age of X. Mm-hmm. Where all of the all of the mutants on Earth get shifted into this alternate dimension. Okay. And in this alternate dimension, uh, it's basically, it's like mutant world. Mutants have sealed themselves off in this one particular part of the country Mm -hmm. to protect themselves from humanity. And uh, everyone has a different part in this mutant government. And uh, in it, Rogue has this, uh, I forget what her title is, but her thing is before a mutant dies, Rogue comes and she touches them so she can absorb all of their memories. And she's like the keeper of the dead, I think. Oh, that's cool. Oh, I'll have to read that. I haven't read that story. I haven't read that story arc. But that seems really cool, especially because, you know, Rogue kind of loses herself when she absorbs other people's memories. So that's like a real sacrifice of self for community there. Ooh. Who? Is it well written? Is it a good written arc? Honestly, I haven't read it in like 10 years. I remember liking a lot of concepts that were brought up in it. Like, uh... Uh, the mutant nation is kind of protected by this telekinetic wall Mm -hmm. and all of the telekinetic mutants are just constantly reinforcing this wall. If you're telekinetic, you just have to take a shift on the wall. Yeah. And, uh, Scott, uh, Scott goes by a different codename. He goes by Basil, uh, by Basilisk. That makes sense. That's, that's more logical. Yeah. And he's like kind of the executioner. Mm Mm-hmm. Of that, and he was in a relationship with Frenzy, which carried over into, like, Frenzy wanting to get the relationship back when they all shifted back into the normal dimension. And there was this kind of neat thing where there was a character who everyone kind of assumed was Jean Grey, because it was this red-headed woman with this kind of Phoenix insignia thing. Was it Madeline Pryor? Uh, no, it was actually Rachel Summers, because... Oh, she... of course, that makes so much more sense. But she was off-planet when the event happened and she was trying to or telepathically reach one of the X-Men from space. Uh-huh. So when she got sucked into the, like, alternate pocket dimension thing, it was as a ghost because it was just her telepathic projection that got stuck there. Oh, cool. It, there were lots of really neat concepts, but I kind of don't remember the story at all. I, I think I'm going to have to read that. Yeah, that sounds good. Anyway, it, it just... Stark using his powers like that just kind of reminded me of Rogue in that, uh... In that, in that plot arc? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it was originally intended to be a whole AU thing, and someone's like, you know what, we need to fill, like, a few months of X-Men comics, why don't we just make it an event? I can absolutely see that happening. But back in Farscape, Aaron is kind of walking around on her way to go drown her sorrows, and she sees two people making out in the hallway and then flashes back to various times that she and John have made out. I do appreciate that the people have, like, really heavy makeup, so you kind of can't tell what they're supposed to be. Alien-wise, yeah. Oh, no, I meant gender-wise. Oh, yeah. But, yes, also alien-wise. 
they're very non-human creatures, but they're showing affection in a very human way. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... So, yes, I guess I didn't just mean gender-wise. I meant it, it is it is a really nice way to kind of bring Aaron's... I want to say unfamiliarity, but I don't think that's a word. Lack of familiarity with affection. Mm, into, like, relief. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I like that it kind of is universalizing the experience of, um, you know, passion and companionship, even though... It's something the Spatians expressly don't have. Yeah, or peacekeepers expressly don't have. Yeah, and peacekeepers are the most human-looking, but it's something that they inherently lack. Yeah. Or, you know, lack due to societal pressure. So not inherently lack, actually. (laughs) It's something they're forced to suppress. So Stark and Crace and Rigel find Aaron's room, and they... I guess that old lady did see Aaron. Yeah! And they knock on the door and they're like, Aaron, your mom's here. And she's like, I know. And so's John and my dad. And the way she's like smiling in this is so creepy and perfect. She's like, this planet, Stark, I'll tell you what. I really wish, again, I, I know I'm going back to this, but I do really wish that she was interacting with her mom and dad's ghosts. Mm, yeah. I feel like that would have made a stronger episode. Yeah, I feel like you're right. It would have been stronger there. I think that it's it's the early 2000s, and at the last second, they felt like they couldn't do something that kind of esoteric. But you're Come right. On, it would your have... Yeah, especially especially for, for our listeners who know this show where it's going next season. Like, they could have gone there now. Anyway, she... she... They tell her, no. Your actual mom, Grace, didn't kill her, and she's here to kill you. And Aaron's like, whatever, fine, I don't care. I just, I, I, I don't care. Yeah. And she, she presses Grace up against her, and she's like, if I close my eyes, I can pretend you're John. I know you want to be with me, and I just want to feel. I'm, I'm season six Buffy now. I, I was actually thinking of, um... I was actually thinking of season two Buffy, uh, when she's grinding up on Xander and is like, did I ever thank you for saving my life? Don't you wish I would? That's what this reminded me of. And then she, Stark is like, hey, hey, don't do that. It's just your grief talking. And that's when she threatens to stab Stark in his one eye and is like, you stay away from me. You're worse than he is. Yeah, at least he's up front about wanting to bang me, and Stark's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Stark's like, I don't want to bang you, I just want to save you. I'm still sad about my dead girlfriend, and also, like, I'm an energy being that just is wearing a man suit. Right? You can stab me in my eye, it's not a real eye. Yeah, like, none of, nothing that happens to this body matters at all. As you will, as you will see at the end of this episode, when I just discorporate it. So, like, the only person I had sex with was Xan, and it was explicitly brain sex. Like, I probably aren't, I'm probably not, like, equipped for meat sex. Or maybe he is, I know he's Bannock, and a lot of them are just regular people, but... I think he can become equipped for it. Yeah, I mean, if he built his suit for that, but, I mean, why would he... Uh, it's for it's just for carrying the mask around. Anyway, fake Talon meets up with Alex and is like, "Ha! As you know, I am not really Talon, but Aaron is a hundred percent fooled, and she's gonna be even more fooled when she sees this thing inside the hat box I'm carrying." And then the two of them share a little evil laugh together because they're cartoon supervillains now, I guess. And then we have another beautiful shot of Aaron standing on the balcony, or at the windowsill. It's not really a balcony, it's like a ledge of her room, gazing out at the city. I love this shot so much. It's so beautiful. It's so well composed. Just, every I love everything about this shot. Yeah. Every frame is a painting. And she's, she calls out into, into the city for Crichton, and... Yeah, the city just has to be full of people screaming dead people's names. Yeah, I think it is. And 
we get a flashback to the episode of Human Reaction when she and John were on Earth, and we see her sitting on the bed in that hotel room while John looks out at Earth. And then we cut back and forth between that and a mirror of that shot where John is sitting on the bed and Aaron is looking out the window on this planet, which is now her home. She's like, this is where I live now. This is where I'm staying. And she sits down next to John, ghost John, and they start making out. And again, they're, they're in opposite positions, but it's flashing between this makeout and the identical makeout from A Human Reaction, which you will recall is the first time they had sex. Yeah, in in that episode, they don't they didn't actually go to Earth. That was just a recreation psychically, or I don't know if they used Danger Room technology or whatever. I think but... it was like Danger Room technology because Aaron was there. It was actually Aaron there. Yeah. Um, and it, that that was the that was the cricket aliens. That's when they put the wormhole knowledge in John's head. I do really like John saying. I don't remember if it was in the episode or not. I think it was, but. She's she's looking out. We're going between the plant, this planet and Earth. And John says, "I really wish you could have seen the sun." Oh, it's so sad. Oh, and then Rigel. And honestly, I think this is one of the time. I think this is one of the times, at least so far, that I like Rigel the best. He comes up to Aaron. He flies up in his little hover chair, and is like, "Hey, Aaron, listen." I, and this is where I said, he says, I'm not trying to save you. I'm not trying to bang you. Uh, I'm not Crace and I'm not Stark. And I saw your mom. She's definitely really here. We need to get out of here. And Aaron's like, I don't care. This is, this is my home now because this is where Ghost John is. This is where I can be with the Ghost of Crichton. And Raj is like, well, can you let me in? Because I'm way up high and the hover chair's not supposed to be this high. And the wind is really, really strong. And she's like, nope. She closes the window. She's like, nope. Dick move, Aaron. Dick move. Eh. Well, she wants to get rid of him because fake Talon is at the door with uh, with his hat box psychic. Yes. He opens the box and great design. Creepy as all get out. It's like a weird mutated slimy baby with a bunch of faces. Okay, so it looks like if you were looking at a baby in a cracked mirror... Because it's got, like, it's almost like its face is refracted into, like, four different faces. And, okay, I love he's trying to do this creepy thing where he's like, I won't bite much. And Aaron's like, oh my god, this guy. This is embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for you. Yeah, Aaron's really, uh, someone's friend who's seeing their very bad play and just trying to humor them. He's like, you have to come over here and touch me so that I can feel him through you. And she's like, okay. Oh my god. It's one of those plays with audience participation. American consumerism. Consumerism. (laughs) Oh my god, Ted's in the play. So, yeah. He's like, so did John love you? Were you like boyfriend and girlfriend did 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 you kiss with the tongues and she's like yes he loved me yep and then uh hatbox alien is like oh he's here i i sense his presence and on top of his little little uh chair thingy he projects an image of john who's like you must bring me back help me aaron i'm trapped i need help aaron you're my only hope and Aaron's like, mm, okay. Yep. Yeah. And then and then she's like, okay, I'm not buying this. And he's like, I think I think his spirit needs more money. And she's like, okay, yeah, no. Nope. <laughs> and I love that fake talent is like a vision that powerful. He's he's spent. I know this ha- this must be very hard for you, Aaron, and Aaron's like Okay. Yeah, Fake Talon is like, I'm gonna go get another mystic. One who can turn spirits corporeal. And it's like, okay. Yeah, sure. Whatever. (laughs) I love how she's like, yeah, I came back from the dead once. Sure, why not? Yeah, 
Yeah. She's like, it's the thing to do. And the uh, alien slime baby's like, don't you lose hope. Not yet. And Aaron does have a kind of genuine moment when he says that. Well, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm I'm 99% sure this isn't going to work, but that that 1% of hope is is a bitch, you know? And you can you can see it leave her face after uh after Fake Talon leaves the room. There's a moment where she's just so broken and vulnerable, you can tell she actually wants to believe it and then you see her kind of come to her senses and that's and that's when she says the thing where she's like, "Well, I came back from the dead once." But you can really tell she's like given up on it. She's like, no, this isn't a real thing. Yeah, I, she, she completely collapses on her bed at that point. And then Ghost John kind of curls up behind her. I wish we got more of this planet. I wish that we got to see a bunch of different alien stories about being trapped on this planet with their own ghosts. Okay, so if I was going to rewrite this episode. Mm-hmm. I would not have her father or mother be there. Even though even though I, I maintain that it's a good story element, I wouldn't do that. I would have that seer who says that he can bring John back be there. And I would have the push and pull of this episode be between her not believing that, not wanting to do it, and the ghost John, who she's seeing right now, who's saying, no, no, don't bring me back. I can't come back, and you can't keep doing this. You have to move on, and you have to live your life. Like, that's the push and pull I would have. Yeah. Yeah, that that would be a really good story. I, I think that's what I find frustrating about this episode. I think that's the thing that bothers me about a lot of, I was going to say, Farscape episode, but episodes in general, is when something has a concept that almost hits but doesn't, mm-hmm. it's so much more disappointing than an episode that's just bad. Yes, for other examples of this, listen to all of our Once Upon a Time podcasts. Yes. And honestly, quite a bit of our Charmed podcast. Well, the problem with Charmed is, you know it could be done better, and that show was called Buffy. (laughs) So, uh, Zalix bursts into the room and is like, surprised to see me, Aaron! And Aaron's like, no. Literally no. Literally no. A, this is a planet full of ghosts, and B, even if it wasn't, you did, You got shot off screen. No one thought you were dead. Also, several people have already told me you're here. Yeah, like, this is in no way a surprise. And Zalex is like, I'm going to kill your father in front of you so you can understand the pain. The pain that I felt all those years, Aaron. And then I'm going to kill you so you can feel the death that I felt every time I thought about killing your dad. Which is what I'm going to do now. And Aaron's like, this is just... None of this is hanging together, but you can do whatever you want. It's fine. Whatever. And fake talent's like, wait, you're going to shoot me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is not what he signed up for. And he's like, this this, this, this isn't what we rehearsed. And Zalek soon is like, shut up! I'm going to kill you! And then Aaron will see what it's like to lose someone that she loves. And Aaron's like, I mean really late on the draw on that one mom Mm -hmm. like do whatever i don't care or no i mean don't shoot him don't shoot my dad i love him so (laughs) my weird fly-faced dad who i met like five minutes ago yeah she weirdly makes him turn around so that she can shoot him in the back which i feel like was like a choreography thing like, I feel like it was easier for them to do the shot. Yes. The, 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 the film shot, if he was facing away from her. And Aaron's like, well, you sure murdered a guy. That's neat. Mm-hmm. And uh, why did you do that? And Zalexon is like, it's going to look like I'm going to shoot you, but then there's going to be a commercial break, and when we come back, we'll just be talking. Oh, oh, you're going to talk me to death. <laughs> But, yeah, Zalek said that she wants Aaron to suffer. Um, Why? Okay, it's... So, Zalek had to... Had to... Zalek said that she was given the choice when the Peacekeeper High Command found out that Aaron had been conceived out of an actual love affair. And that she had to either kill Aaron or kill 
Talon. So she killed Talon in a reflection of the moment when Aaron killed the man that she was maybe in love with because he was... Betraying the peacekeepers. Betraying the peacekeepers. Specifically betraying the peacekeepers by preventing Moya from getting pregnant. Mm. Um, but that's just a... That's just a TV, oh wait, I've been here before convention. Yeah, and Aaron's like, okay, wait, so you regret killing my dad instead of me, and that's why you're trying to kill me now, or make me suffer, or I don't, I don't get what you're going for here. Basically, the peacekeepers, like, broke her down, she says, uh, until that she, until she was, like, a good peacekeeper again. She's, she can't feel love now. Although, I would argue that the fact that she's obsessed with making Aaron suffer means that she does, in fact, still feel some kind of twisted emotion that the peacekeepers probably wouldn't want her to have. My god, this is just a worse version of the Cora and Regina thing. That's what I said. Well, I wouldn't say worse, but yeah. It is just the Cora and Regina story. Yeah. Yeah. Except that was better because, you know, Cora took out her own heart so that she could do the things that, uh, she needed to do so that Regina could have, like, this perfect life. And in doing so, she ended up horribly twisting Regina. Okay, but that's what... That's what Zalix is doing with Aaron. Except not, because Cora raised Regina without a heart, so she was raised without love. Well, so I would argue that... Zalix, for some reason, waited, like, 30 years to try to kill Aaron. No, no. I would argue that Zalix has no intention of killing Aaron here. And that Aaron's choice to reject love and be a good peacekeeper at the end of this episode is what Zalix is trying to do. She knows, she knows that one of the things that made Aaron susceptible to love is knowing that her parents loved her. So Zalix needs to make Aaron think that that was, that even if that was the case, it was both a mistake and is no longer true. I just, it, it's too all over the map. Like, you need to reject love, and I love you, and that's why I want you to learn this lesson about rejecting love so you can be a peacekeeper, except I don't love you because I loved your father, and then I had to kill him as punishment for loving you. Well, okay, so first of all, after she killed Talon, after Zalex killed Talon, she was sent off to, she was basically made into an assassin, which she said is not what she was born to be. She was born to be a pilot. Yes. And they forced her into being an assassin, and that's what broke her. Yeah, more parallels between Aaron and, uh... Yeah, and Alex. And well, also a parallel between Aaron and Pilot, because the two of them are, you know... The... Well, and at the end of this episode, Aaron says that a peacekeeper is what she was born to be, just like Zalex says that being a pilot is what she was born to be. Mm. Like... They, John told Aaron that she could be something more, and that's what made Aaron fall in love with him. Zalix, who knows what a liability love is, is making Aaron see that she can't, that she shouldn't be anything more, that she needs to embrace what she was born to be, which is not a person born of true love, but rather a peacekeeper, you know, a good peacekeeper pilot. Aaron got out. She was out of the whole system. You could have done nothing. Mm. It's not like the peacekeepers are going to take her back. Right, she was irreversibly contaminated. Yeah, because she had a conversation with a dude. (laughs) Which, how do the peacekeepers do anything without being irreversibly contaminated if you have a conversation with a dude? Right? Oh, by the way, there's a firefight going on downstairs. Blah, 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 whatever. So, Zalex pulls the, the pulse pistol, and Aaron is standing out on the ledge, and she's like, okay, kill me. And Zalex shoots twice, and misses Aaron both times, like she's some sort of stormtrooper. And Aaron turns around, and she's like, look, you can kill me. Whatever, we're on Ghost Planet. If you're going to kill me, this is the place to do it. But I don't think you can. Because I think you're a big whiner baby who talks a big talk but can't actually pull the trigger when, you know, the chips are down. She says, she says, come out here on the ledge and shoot me right here at point blank range. Which, by the way, if you're in a standoff with someone, don't step out onto a ledge with them. Just, just a little, just a little helpful hint from me. 
But Chris walks into the room and he immediately shoots Aaron's mom. He's like, look, I actually did it this time. Hey, Chris, you could have done that like five episodes ago and saved us all a lot of headache. And Aaron grabs her mom to stop her from falling off the ledge. And Aaron's mom's like, I'm shot. I'm going to die no matter what. But like, maybe I made some bad choices. And Aaron's like, you sure did. And she lets her fall to her death. Well, and not just that, she doesn't just say that she's already dead as in, like, she got shot, she's already dead. She's already dead as in, like, she was dead the moment that she shot Talon, the moment she came to this planet, the moment they left her for dead on the other planet and she ended up losing, uh... All of her crew, basically. Yeah, so... So, I know this moment really emotionally connected with you, and I'm sorry I ruined it by laughing, because she... I'm assuming inadvertently quotes The Simpsons by... (laughs) Don't cry for me. I'm already dead. I'm sorry. Barney Gumbel ruined that. It it just makes me think of the unfortunately titled Pucahontas. So back on the ship, everyone's back. Well, actually, that's not true. Aaron's not back, but we we learned she's going to be back in an hour. And Stark has taken off. He, uh, he heard, he heard Zan's call and took off his mask and discorporated and he told them to bring it to the john that's on moya because that john will know what to do with it okay and we it it makes sense now that you tell me that the actor had other commitments because that did feel really out of left field yeah and they find out that talon has located moya so they're gonna join back up with moya and oh my god i chris says i i hope they did a better job than we did and i I feel that so hard. Yeah, they didn't lose anyone. Yeah. They got... Wait, no. No, no. Jewel was already on the ship. Okay. Well, that wouldn't have been a plus anyway. (laughs) But that is the end of the episode. Yeah. So, I really wish they had done more with the Ghost Planet thing. I really like the Ghost Planet concept. I like the cinematography around the Ghost Planet. I love all of the stuff with Aaron. It's just... I, I don't... I don't love that the plot is saddled with wrapping up all of the Aaron's mom stuff. Okay, sometimes we have these conversations and you talk me into being like, ooh, I do see a lot of problems with the episode. Nope. I love it. Top tier. No yeah. notes. Well, that's not true. Clear. What? An hour and a half of notes. But I love this episode. Yeah, and I, and I, I just want to be clear. I'm never trying to talk you around to dislike. Oh, no, no. I don't you. think you are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But... There are things I really like about this episode, but for me personally, it just smacked of wasted potential. But I understand why you like it so much. It is a really cool episode. It does some very cool things, and it is a tour de force for Claudia Black. Oh my god. I, 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 I can't even say, I can't even say enough amazing things about her, so I'm just, I'm just gonna leave it at that. And, uh, and leave it at the next episode we're doing which is called Fractures, and the Amazon Prime description is Moya encounters another group of escaped Peacekeeper prisoners, including a Nabari, a Skaran, and a female Hynerian. Oh, it's a, not doppelganger, but, you know, Dark Reflections episode. (laughs) So, we have some segments. Our first segment is A Distant Part of the Universe, which is what world building worked for you. Ghost World! Yeah. I really like the idea that there is a particular planet in the universe that is more susceptible to mystic activity. I I know this is just a hellmouth thing, but I I really like the idea that there is a place where the veil is weaker and it draws people who are so inclined to it. People who are psychically powered or alternatively people who have lost people who can experience ghosts. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm right there with you. I love this planet. And I, yeah, I would watch like a couple anthology episodes on this planet. Yeah. And this is, this is in no small part because of how beautifully it was, uh, created and, and, and lit and filmed. Like everyone on, on the crew was working their best this week. Uh, speaking of our second segment is Strange Alien Creatures, which is what creature design worked for you. There was a lot, actually. I I feel like they really stepped it up in terms of alien design, but mm-hmm. it has to be the baby in the bottle bag thing. The weird, psychic, slimy, multi-face baby. 
which we forgot to mention after the whole thing with Aaron's mom goes down. It approaches Aaron. It's like, so I was just funning before, but I could actually help you contact your dead boyfriend some more. And Aaron's like, nah, hard pass. Yeah. And also the kind of unintentionally, I think, funny part of that, which is that nobody moved the hat box out of Aaron's room. So he was just (laughs) sitting in the corner for that whole thing. (laughs) But yeah, it's, it's a great design. It's creepy, but cool. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, kind of a nice sci-fi nod, I think, to 2001, Mm. where he sees himself in the obelisk as a baby. Yeah. And obviously that's, like, A-plus best design in this episode. But I also want to shout out the design of the innkeeper, or whatever he was, where he he had a demon-like design with uh, kind of a a zombie-like greenish-tinged skin that was kind of flaking off and had, like, red blood-looking things underneath it and, like, tiny little horns peeking out. So he he looked both alien and demonic. Like, not a stereotypical, oh, this is a, a medieval illumination of a demon, but you could be like, oh, I could see how an ancient earthling could have seen that and come up with demons. Honestly, a lot of the background aliens looked really cool in this episode. They made it feel alien. Yes, absolutely they did. It's not just, oh, I guess this must be a peacekeeper settlement because no one's wearing any goddamn makeup. Yeah, they brought it this episode. And that brings us to our final segment, which is the wonders that I've seen. What emotionally resonated with you in this episode? I wish I could remember if this was in the original episode, but the bit where John tells Aaron that he wishes that she could have seen the sun. It is. That is in A Human Reaction. Just that whole scene. I, I Aaron, Aaron John stuff is sort of the weak, easy go-to for, you know, wonders I've seen. But well, God. I mean, this is an Aaron John episode, so. And it hits so hard. Just the bit where it keeps interconnecting between the two moments. I, I really, I, I love that a lot. There's so much stuff to choose from in this episode that I thought you might say something else because that is also mine. Oh my god, I that's that's the moment where I tear up where it's flashing back between John looking out at his home that he can never return to, especially not now, and Aaron looking out at the place that she's considering making her home because it's the only place where she can feel a connection with John anymore. Ugh. So you mean it's not when Aaron's mom says, don't, I, I can't do a Barney voice, don't cry for me, I'm already dead. That's like a Kermit the Frog voice. I can't do Barney. I can't. So I think that does it for this week. I think that does it for this week. <laughs> our show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Rosa, Ryan, Maricruz, Benjamin, Kate, Jen, and Dan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs> <laughs>